Welcome, everyone, through all time and space to an all-new episode of Weebs on the Weekends, a podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look at anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode will be covering the news from the third week of December 2020 and give our thoughts on what are top 10 favorite anime of 2010. My name is Jay Johnson. I'm a part-time weeb and full-time English language sensei. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Sam Martinez, part-time weeb and full-time automail mechanic. How are you doing today, Sam? Buna zua, Professor Johnson. Sia Dari? Oh, wow. Buna zuna. Interesting. So, okay, I'm immediately going to say I don't know this language because <laughs> apparently I'm more, I'm worse off than I thought in languages. Like, I've experienced most of the major languages given, you know, with the what you, the United Nations recognizes as, like, the official languages you should know if you're doing operational businesses across the planet. But let's see. So last time you went the Baltic Sea with the Prussian, uh, France, Franco-Roman language. And so let's see. What else? Okay. Huh. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you mentioned that. So for my hint, right, it's, it's good that you mentioned the Baltic Sea because we're in that general – continent <laughs> we okay. are, i'm trying i'm trying to choose my words carefully i'm i'm i i have the map in front of me so i can't i don't have any uh excuses now in regards to my geography so instead of the baltic sea we're now looking at say the black and the mediterranean sea okay the black sea okay interesting okay so it's like not too far off so it's still basically in country or i guess in continent technically so yeah. let's see languages so basically around that area but huh. think more mediterranean mediterranean oh mediterranean okay so it's not indo-european then uh, i'm thinking about the slave trade now or yeah languages that moved across the planet um hmm so Mediterranean extinct languages, old languages of the Mediterranean. You went to Morocco last time, so probably something close to that. Maybe something Turkish, given that's the major. Oh, you're getting warm. Major family group of that area. So maybe I'm going to go with. I think it's pronounced Amrahardik. Amrahardik. Is that it, Sam? I think like you have to type that out for me or write it down for me to see if that's the language that to see if the language that you're saying is the language that I'm about to say because what you're saying it sounds very very similar the mm -hmm. language that I did is Aromanian oh. oh damn it okay that wasn't it but that's really close to it so yeah okay tell me about this language yeah. so as I said, you were really close with Turkey. With Aromanian, it is native to Greece, Albania, and North Macedonia, so in that area. And it was estimated in 97 to have 250,000 speakers. It is an Indo-European language, and it's an Eastern Romance language, again, uh, to Southeastern Europe. And the speakers were called Aromanians or Vlachs, which is a broader term uh, used to define romance communities in uh, Balkans. And let's see, it shares uh, many features with Romanian and uh, morphological. Let's see, uh, more. Uh, oh, it's also inherited uh, some Latin 
and it shares a lot of the vocabulary with uh, Romanian. So it seems as though like it's uh, oh, and it's uh, also been influenced by Greek. So like that's why I was thinking uh, more Mediterranean because it seems as though it's uh, more native to Greece. And the reason why I brought up uh, Greece is because I was doing some quick Wikipedia searches, and apparently Saint Nicholas was native to Greece. Eh, segue to the times of the season. So I just wanted to uh, pick your thoughts a little bit on uh, where you're at right now. What do they normally do around this time of year that's different uh, from the States? If uh, you would like to talk about that a little bit. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so interesting. Okay, so yeah. Yeah, so because I'm very much close to Russia, we have celebration of Father Christmas. So very much the origin, or I guess one of the origins for Santa Claus is Father Christmas and how Russians celebrate winter festival season or the winter solstice is basically the same as what we do in the West. So nothing abnormally different, just it's very much adopted the, I guess, modern way of celebration here of like Christmas presents, pine trees, decorations, lights go up, spending time with your family, exchanging gifts. So nothing like too like culturally different than the West, but there are a few things like there are like seasonal drinks that we have here. A lot more alcoholic eggnog variations because it says this is a big dairy country that I live in. So oh. a lot of, um, much alcohol or vodka <laughs> goes into uh, holiday drinks here. And, but basically it's all the same. I mean, even up in, uh, the city that I live in is like the streets are aligned with like reeves and uh, what are those oh, things like cool. holly deck the halls with boughs of holly yeah um, yeah so like it's all very western or I guess basically going back to the same um, tides of like Father Christmas in Russia but yeah how about you Sam how do you celebrate the holiday seasons with the holiday seasons one thing that i like to do is go around to see some of the christmas lights there is a park nearby me that the that essentially puts lights up all around where their mile track is and you can uh, drive along it and see the christmas lights even in uh, the state of Georgia, there's a place called um, Pine Mountain where they do something called the Fantasy and Lights. It's uh, what we're, it's a seven-mile stretch of land uh, in a golf course, and they basically do it up pretty big where you can go and you can drive, and they play music through all that. It's, oh, it's so, so cool. And I, I just – that's one of the uh, traditions that I've sort of picked up growing up. And, you know, typical like to go back home, visit family, things of that nature, sort of like to spend time with them. Uh, but as far as traditions go, it's either going out and looking at Christmas lights that people have put up or uh, making uh, gingerbread houses uh, with my family members. So, uh, Okay, that sounds all beautiful. Only uh, no caroling this year, hopefully, because of social distancing. <laughs> oh, yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention real quick, because yes. I really enjoyed this, but because it's like negative 10 degrees out right now. I'm definitely not going outside to view this, but 
There's definitely ice castles built up. Oh, that would be too cool to see. Do they uh, like? T- tell me a little bit about the ice castles. Is there a competition? Do people just randomly do it? Uh, it's basically all in the spirit of like polite converse, uh, not conversation, but polite competition. So it's not very much a like citywide kind of competition. It's more like uh, some like creative types or like creative. Uh, influencers like come out and say oh we'll build ice castles and make them somewhat of a theme and like it's kind of like an in-community kind of thing but it is a big ice sculpt ice sculpting culture here like very much like i was i would be thinking like of um arendelle in the frozen movies that yeah you know we have a giant lake here that people can basically drive Farm their cars out on. yeah we also have reindeers here so there's like a lot of uh, sled pulling over like frozen lakes and it's like really beautiful so like a lot of like the other extra winter season things are around ice sculpting so not much of a you know thing that you can just casually get into but it's like a thing of like artists like showing up and saying oh yeah promotional time for uh who i am as a artist so yeah other than that yeah it's nice it's nice here for winter even though it's negative 10 and it's not even the coldest I'll get like the coldest time will be coming in like February so when it will might drop down to negative 20 so that's <laughs> to get a little away from the terrible <laughs> terribleness that is outside the uh, same you have to do so there are yes, time I codes do. are going to be in the description as always we have our best of 2010 coming up later in the episode as well as Sam, you have the news for what's been happening this week, so let us hear the news. That I do, that I do. And for the first bit of news that I have right now, there is an anime coming out next year called Battle Athletes Dayun Dokai Restart. Have you heard about this anime before, Jay? No, that is completely new to me. What is it about? So essentially, this anime is more of an homage or a more uh, reboot slash uh, revisit. So a little bit like how Doro, uh, uh, how Dororo was, where they just basically took an old anime and they uh, redid it for modern times. It's something similar to that. It was a uh, comic that uh, uh, went on in the 90s from 97 to 2008, and they had an OVA that was released alongside of the comic uh, within that same time, well, within 97 and 98. And uh, they had an anime that premiered uh, within that same year as well. And essentially, the story is about this uh, girl who is enrolled into this elite academy where basically the focus is on sports where you go essentially go to this academy so that you can train and become the best athlete that you can be and it was just very interesting because it again as uh, looking at it you can see that they have promos uh they have a promo video and they have uh, some stills and they had also revealed some of the staff and uh the cast for some of these characters and as i said before it sort of reminded me of when we watched uh dororo and i sort of wanted to get your thoughts on that do you think that this is going to be a recurring trend where they take 
old properties from the 90s and from the 80s and sort of uh, renew them for modern times to try to uh, sort of uh, bring life back into the older franchises. Yeah, that does seem to be something that's going on nowadays. I mean, even if you look at ho- Hollywood, the like most recent example might be Jumanji, and that was back from yeah. the nineties. So that was only like a we like we've been alive <laughs> during that revitalization <laughs> of you know the Jumanji property. But like looking at Doro 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 Doro. Doro <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that was back in the early 70s or late 60s of the original property when it came out, when it got its first anime adaptation. Of course, that's 40 years. Wait, can I do math right? Yeah, so it came out. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the remake just came out in 2019. So, like, yeah, 40 years or 50 years. 50? 50. 50. Yeah, 50. Okay, anyways. Yeah, but it does seem like to be that, you know, anime we've talked about when it began back in the 1950s. So, like Duro is one of those examples of like a property that definitely needed it for, you know, it took a lot of inspiration or it gave a lot of inspiration to the samurai genre. And like you said, Sam, it does seem to be a upwards trend of taking old properties and renewing it for like modern audiences. Like there's a lot of properties that just came out maybe way too early technically to say that animation has been like any with any medium has been growing and how it's been perfected somewhat over the last few years to say that oh now let's revisit the original Astro Boy or let's revisit yeah. the original I'm thinking about the Mecca that came out during that time after that um, oh, Gigantor? Yeah Gigantor yeah about the boy controlling the robot but yeah so like all these old properties can basically be um, revigorated like you said and just be reintroduced because a lot of modern audiences are a little bit more pickier about their um, their medium, 